electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, tech on a tear. A stunning burst from the bottom, and the big question now, could new highs be next? We'll ask the committee today. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Brent Talkington, Surat Sethi, Jim Blaventhal, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I'll take you to the wall. Let's check where the markets look at 12 noon in the east. NASDAQ's down about 150. Yields are higher today. The 10-year yield's pushing 250. Dow's off by a little, as is the S&P 500. But really, we are focused on technology, Pete, and this incredible run. In less than two weeks, the NASDAQ's up 1,500 points. The low is 12,555. Here we are over 14. And you're shaking your head, and you've been pointing out this bullish call activity almost every day for the past few, especially in the mega cap names. All right, we'll work on Pete's microphone, obviously. But Jim Labenthal, what do you make of it? Because it has been stunning, a place where you're underweight in terms of large cap technology stocks. But that's a large reason why we're feeling so much better about the overall market, because these stocks have run so far and they're some of the biggest stocks in the market. Yes, Scott. And I think they can run further. I do want to delineate within the NASDAQ between what I consider to be high quality growth at a reasonable price technology stocks, mainly the FANG, but throw Qualcomm and others like that in there. I think those will do just fine this year. What does that mean? I think from here you're going to get another, you know, 7 to 10 percent price appreciation, something that's commensurate with how their earnings per share are growing. But I just don't think you're going to get multiple expansion on top of that. Where I am even more underweight uh, is the hypergrowth stocks. Uh, you know, the software, high price to sales uh, companies, I still think those are going to be very challenged. Yes, they may have some rips to the upside, but they're likely to give it right back. And that's not where I think long-term investments are to be made. I do just want to say one thing. Uh, while I am underweight uh, growth at a reasonable price technology, uh, I still believe in it. I just believe more that in the cyclicals and values where not only do I think you're going to get earnings per share growth higher than the market, but I think you actually could get multiple expansion. Okay, there you go. The 10-year yield hitting 250, NASDAQ trading off a little bit. Um, They have been tied at points, although, you know, some have dispelled this notion that higher rates are necessarily horrible for longer duration assets. And the way that they, those assets have traded at times would certainly help you dispel that too. But Pete Najarian, I think we got your mic back. Um, You're the one who has pointed out this bullish activity in the apples and these mega cap stocks for the duration of this week. Yeah, and it's been a really busy week, Scott, and it's been a pretty nice run. Obviously, as you point out, 1,500 points is nothing to sneeze at when you're talking about the NASDAQ and where the levels are where it is. So incredible. And we've seen so much option paper that's come into names like Apple and some into Facebook and AMD and NVIDIA and Tesla. There's all kinds of different names within the tech world where we have seen this. And it's 
it's been incredible, including Microsoft as well. I left that one out. I apologize. But we've also seen it out of some of the Chinese names as they made that big turn, Scott, as well. So it has been very telling. I still think that you've got to be very, very careful. I don't know that you want to stand back there and after you've had some of these gains, mm -hmm. just say, you know what? I think this thing's going to continue on. I think you have to be very, very disciplined in this market because we all know how fast things can flip around. We look at that volatility index. It was 37 two weeks ago. Here we are today. We were down to the 21s. Now we're close to 22 and a half, 23. It shows you how fast things are moving in the markets that we're in right now. So, Bryn, I give you, it's a Pete's point. It's a good one, too. I mean, the burst off the bottom. On, on March 14th, Apple was 150. We know where, where it is today. It's not all that far away from new highs. And I'm starting to wonder whether, you know, if this keeps up, if the next stop, if there's enough momentum to carry these stocks back to new highs. Um, Apple's 5.5% from its high. Amazon's 14. Alphabet's come a long way back. It's only 7.5% from its high. Microsoft, 14. NVIDIA, 21. And Tesla, 20. What do you think? I think that we're hitting some really strong technical resistance for the NASDAQ and the S&P. On the NASDAQ, we've, as, as everyone's just talked about, such a spectacular run, which is nice to see. But I want to say that 14,800 to 15,000 on the NASDAQ is really strong headwind. So as a, as a trader, I, I don't think I would be putting on fresh trades in especially some of the higher growth names that have run. But as an investor or a trader, I think what's really interesting and what people should look at is if you look at a name like Square, you know, Square's up about 40, almost 40 percent uh, in the last couple of weeks versus a PayPal, you know, which I own, which hasn't even remotely have that, had that move. And so I do think it's important to analyze these individual, say, individual not stocks and say which ones are really running, because when finally we will have markets at some point will have new highs which stocks have more strength i definitely think this is a good opportunity to be taking an eye eye to that and look at look at nvidia just the past couple of days great example of a stock that once this market gets going i think that's that's a kind of name that you're going to want to be in i mean it's crazy nvidia is up 33 percent since the low that it hit on march 8th and let and mm -hmm. let's be clear too uh surat you still got a lot of work to do before the nasdaq gets back to its own high I mean, we're still 2,000 points away these mega cap stocks have come a long way. And yes, even some of the ARC names, the cloud stocks and the software ones, the ones with the higher valuations have had nice runs, too. Now, they may never be able to get back anywhere near where their highs were. And that may de you know, depress the Nasdaq a little bit and keep it from reaching back to the 16,000 level. Uh, who knows? But how do you see it here as you look to buy what we would call an old technology name rather than one of the mega caps as you, uh, I think, bought Qualcomm or added to Qualcomm? Yeah. I, I did, Scott, and, and to me, Qualcomm is one of these bellwethers that, look, you've got Apple, you know, doing really well, semiconductors are doing well, and demand for 5G is picking up. Qualcomm's just a depressed stock with a great balance sheet, and they said they're going to buy back over $10 billion of their stock. So, you know, to Bryn's point, you got to look at kind of quality companies that are going to lead the way out, and, you know, some of them are going to be highly valued, like an NVIDIA. Uh, some of them are going to be kind of value tech, like, like a, a PayPal. Uh, which we also own. And then, you know, you got the Qualcomm's and you got the, you know, Facebook's another one that's value. And then you get, you know, good companies like Google. But I think if you stick with the high quality technology companies, buy them on the dips, uh, I think you'll be well rewarded going into earnings season because I think investors are going to reward true earnings. And, you know, top line growth is going to be great. But until you produce cash flow, earnings growth, and actually show that you're growing through kind of a higher interest rate period, 
you're not going to get rewarded. Jim can barely contain himself. He's tired of talking about Apple <laughs> well, <I> think... <laughs> and Microsoft and Facebook and Google. Now you're in his wheelhouse, right, Jim? Well, I listen, Surratt and I navigate the same uh, waters in the same boat, frankly. But here's the thing. He, he sort of left the, the punchline. The big part of the story is that the multiple on Qualcomm, absolutely, in my opinion, should expand. Right now on this year's earnings, it's 13.3 times. On an absolute level, that's low. On a relative level, level to the quality of the earnings, the rate at which they're growing, the rate at which they're diversifying their earnings away from Apple, away from smartphones, into automotive, into Internet of Things, this deserves a 20 multiple. Now, if you put a 20 multiple on this year's earnings, it gets you around $230 a share. I'm putting it out there uh, for the second half of this year, Scott, $230 a share. I think that's 45% higher than now. I know it sounds crazy, but uh, tell me where I'm wrong. I mean, anybody want to tell him why he's wrong? Pete, you have a take on Qualcomm? I don't think you're in it, and you like to play some of these more mega caps than some of these old line technology names. <coughs> Yeah, although there are some semiconductors that I've had positions in for multiple years, sure. Micron, Marvell, some of those names. I, I, I like the performance out of those. You know, the problem has been that, and Jim, I think you're right, if, if it got to a 20 multiple, the problem is that this has been a stock that for whatever reason has paused and, and not been able to make those kind of moves to the upside. And so, you know, it's a great company. They're in the right spot. They seem to execute extremely well most of the time. But in, when you look at from a per performance standpoint, it just hasn't been able to do that. I don't disagree with you on that 20 PE that puts you up there over 200. But the problem is when and will it get to that level? We're seeing it out of some of the other names. We just don't see that out of Qualcomm. I think that there's a lot going on in the 5G space. Obviously, we talk about data centers all the time and all of that in terms of the semiconductors, automobiles, of course. So there's a lot of different areas where most of these companies truly do distribute where they're where they're coming from so I, I like those names I just like the more bang for your buck that you're getting right now out of Micron out of Marvell out of AMD out of Nvidia versus Qualcomm at this point in time let's be clear though um, it's fun to talk about Qualcomm watch the stock go up as you guys <laughs> talk about it all feels great Jim's all happy that Surratt's on is in the in the boat with him but Bryn Apple's the key to this market right now isn't it I mean the, the Apple comeback has helped the overall market. And as long as that stock remains strong, we can feel like we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, Apple, think about that. Apple is, tells us about supply chains. Apple tells us about the consumer. Apple tells us about technology and what's happening. So when you look at Apple, it just tells you so much about what's happening in not only the US, but the global economy. And, you know, Tim Cook just continues to execute with their team. And so, I would be surprised if Apple didn't continue to execute, right? So, so that's where it's done really well. It's held up much better than the vast majority of tech stocks. And so I think it will continue to do that and gives that ballast and that comfort level that, you know, the stocks in the NASDAQ today are not the same stocks that were in the NASDAQ in the 2000. These are juggernauts, high cash flow, starting to pay dividends, you know, just like wonderful bellwether companies that, that really all of us own because they're in every, Apple's in every single index, value, growth, momentum, you know, what, the S&P. So, yeah, I think it's a, a big proxy for a lot of different things that we can all look at. Which is why one gym says to another gym, don't trade Apple. Farmer Jim, why are you trying to why are you trying to do that? Right. Jim Cramer says you own it. You don't trade it. You would you would 
you had sold a little bit, right? You cut your position a little bit, and now it's, it's gotten away from you again. <laughs> Scott, I, I'm not sure I can do this fight because it's not a it's hill not a that fight. I want to die on. It's not I mean, a fight. It's not I, a it's, fight. It's just a lesson. <laughs> there's no fight. This is teaching, my man. I, this is don't trade. Don't try and trade in and out of Apple. You got burned again. See, I, I'm... I'm so tempted to just roll over and show my belly and say, sure, you're right, Scott. But the please answer don't is, do that. I treated it well. Please. I treated I it plead. well. I beg you, our viewers are screaming, don't do that. <laughs> don't worry, I won't. But no, look, I traded it well. You can trade this stock. I, you know what? I need to have a drink with Jimmy, and we need to talk about that one-on-one. -on -one. I think because this is proof in the pudding that stock. you can't. Isn't this proof? Proof's in the pudding uh, that you can't trade this thing. All right. Uh, you, you know what this is? You know what this 14th, is proof in the... Right you know, on the 14th of March when it was down at 150, I didn't hear everybody pounding the table. I got to buy it. And now here we are, 10 bucks That's from I did a, that. 10 bucks I from did that. High. I did that last year. I did that last year, yeah. Scott. It worked out great. What this is proof of is that in this business, you're only as good as your last trade. What have you I done will for accept me lately, that. baby? But That's I, what matters. <laughs> I've done Cleveland Cliffs for you. I've done Paramount. I've done CVS, but it's all good. It's all good. You can be right on this no, one. No, but my point, Surratt, really is, and others are clearly making it. It's not rocket science and no genius for, for saying it. You know, Tom Lee cites the other day on overtime with me. It's kind of hard to get negative on the overall market as long as Apple continues to go up. I mean, it's just a fact in the math. It, it really is. And, and if you look at them, and Bryn was right on that, it's a bellwether. They have, you know, global demand, global supply chain, and they know what the consumer is doing. I mean, they have the pulse of the consumer. So as long as we see good things coming out of Apple, I think you can have the, the, the knockoff effects on, on a lot of other industries and companies. So we get some indication as to what earnings season is going to look like. Now, I don't want to get like crazy ahead of ourselves or, or anything like that. And look, Jim, we've given Jim a lot of grief. We've given him grief on Apple. We did it again today. We've given him grief over the years on Intel, which he's no longer in, so he doesn't even feel the grief anymore. And we certainly gave him a lot of grief on his big call to get back all in in the market, though yesterday he said he wants to lose that moniker, which I don't think I'm going to let him do. But maybe Jim's right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the story is more positive than investors want to realize. Maybe we're not going to have a recession. Fed's going to be aggressive. We kind of know that. There's going to be a little bit of a slowdown in the economy from the very strong levels that we are today. We know that, too. Don't we, Jim? Isn't that priced in the market? Well, I think I think there are negatives and positives priced in the market. Scott, you and I had a great conversation yesterday in which you said I thought I was being or you thought I was being dismissive of the negatives. The negatives are real. OK. And Josh actually did a great job the last two days of pointing them out, whether it's an aggressive Fed or the potential that something bad goes on with Ukraine, um, something worse than what's already gone on. What I've, the point I've been making is that the economy does appear strong, whether it was yesterday's jobless claims, whether it is the factories that are being built out. Now, I know you're going to say, because you've said this to me so many times, you're telling me where the puck is, Jimmy. Where is the puck going? And I'm going to put to you that there are positive scenarios that can come out of the immediate future. Inflation was showing signs of rolling over prior to Russia, Ukraine. So West Texas Intermediate at 114, which, by the way, 
didn't stop the economic expansion a decade ago might be overcome by supply chain bottlenecks that have been starting to ease at the ports and in the freight indices. So it's not that I'm, I'm just seeing sunshine in the clouds. No. I understand the clouds are there, but I think there's a balance to be struck. The market has struck it and is now focused on the positives. Jim, my point clearly is that some would suggest that the market already reflects where the puck is going and it understands where the puck is going and it's, and it's perfectly happy and with it's where positive. it's going yeah yes yes agreed and that but would you not say and this is a rhetorical question mm -hmm. would one not say that that is a sea change from two weeks ago two weeks ago when i got all in and you kind of beat me up i mm -hmm. will admit to you it was uncomfortable i don't have to admit it to you i said it to you on the air you said how do you feel i said i feel terribly uncomfortable i do feel a little bit better now with the stock market up whatever it is nine ten percent from those points in time because it indicates where the market sentiment is right now is it a dead cat bounce is it a bear market rally it could be but i got to tell you it doesn't feel like that well it never feels like it when you're in the midst of the euphoria of a great run right you want to believe the psychology is you want to believe that it has staying power the, the question Bryn really is is it false hope uh, is this a short covering rally which is going to evaporate and we're going to realize yeah I mean okay the, the Fed's going to be pretty aggressive you've got almost every Wall Street firm now coming out and suggesting yeah, they're going to go 50 basis points and they're probably going to do it at more than one meeting and I'm not sure that the market really accepts that fact nor does it except the fact that inflation is not going away and earnings are going to come down and, you know, all of the negatives that, that we already know and we cite every day. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think Leon Cooperman said it to you almost a year ago that he was a fully invested bear. And that's really how I feel right now as I, I look across and you just rattled off quite a few things. I could rattle off five or six more. But ultimately, just this time, the S&P is up around 16 percent over the last year. And so, you know, as an asset allocator, as an investor or a trader, but as an asset allocator, which I am, my job is to keep our clients in their seats long enough to earn their long-term returns of these asset classes. And that's where it goes to positioning. And so, you know, I've been talking a lot about covered calls this year. The reason why is because I'm quite bearish because there's so many things to be bearish about. So where can you earn, earn returns? Dividends and call premiums. Energy, that's another area, small cap value, agriculture. And so there's so many areas where you can position portfolios to get through this. But I do think that I can be bearish and still stay invested because there's a lot of, we have a lot of tools in our toolbox to invest dollars for our clients. I hear you, but Pete, don't we, don't we pause it all when a perma bull mm -hmm. like Jeremy Siegel, the yeah. professor at the Wharton School, comes on over time, and even he's cautious. Right. Over the long term, right. he'll tell you, well, I love stocks and I would never own bonds over stocks. And he said that again yesterday. But he sees the writing on the wall. Let's listen to what he said. We can kick it around on the other side. Yep. I think it has some legs, but I wouldn't be surprised if we tested those January and February lows, because um, I, th I still think there's going to be some hawkish surprises two weeks from today. We get the Fed minute, minutes. I think they're going to reflect a very hawkish uh, tone. And then we're going to have that uh, consumer price report uh, on April 12th. And unless that's much better than expected, I, I have to tell you, I, I think it's going to be 50 basis points uh, in the May meeting. Right, Pete. I mean, Siegel's basically like you're kidding yourself if you think that this is right. that sustainable. 
He was surprised, like most others, that we've come as far as we have in the short period of time that we did. But he said your luck's going to run out after a while because of the things that he mentioned. Yeah. Well, there's certainly I would have to agree with him. There could be some surprises. He didn't say necessarily, Scott, we're absolutely going down. He said he thinks that we could possibly test those lows once again. I don't disagree. It's one of the reasons why I have been so active, more so in the option world than I have been in the stock world. Every week and every time I ever come on, Patty asks me, the producer, she says, hey, any new changes for your for your stocks? And I'm nope. Uh, because that's not the market we're in right now. To Jim's point, Jim was talking about Apple. I'll tell you how you trade Apple, Jim. You own the stock, like Jim uh, Kramer says, you own the stock. I've owned the stock. It's my longest hold of anything that I've got in all of the different stocks that I have. By far the longest hold. But I trade around it all the time. And you've seen us talk about when they bought 55000 of today's expiring 165 calls, Scott. They paid a little over a, for a, a dollar for those. Today, those were closed out a little over $8. So it gives you an idea. You can still trade. You can be a part of that Apple trade. And by the way, one of the things that stood out for me about Apple, I just want to go back for a second, is what Tim Cook said about their credit card. Now, everybody else is focusing on other things today. I'm focused on that credit card because he said they had stunning growth to the Apple card. That's something that you don't hear him say very often about the, about some part of their business. He doesn't use those kind of words normally, but he did say that about stunning growth. I think that's going to be an incredible area as well. They're always creating something. We had wearables. We had services. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting in the credit card world, and you're actually seeing growth that you're actually stunned by. Mm -hmm. I think that says a lot. So when, when you're looking, Scott, I think that there's a lot of ways to trade around this market. And for instance, a great example would be this today. Energy. Well, crude's up. You're looking at the NASDAQ getting smacked to the downside. They're hitting a lot of different other areas of the marketplace within that in the NASDAQ. But when you look at crude, take a look at what's going on with a lot of those different names that Bryn talks about that I talk about all the time. I'm in those only in options. The mm -hmm. only one where I have a stock position is in Chevron. But I am trading all those beta names because they give you that beta on days like today where you started off a little higher, pull back a little bit, and then sprint to the upside. Energy in a positive way already today pretty nicely on a day where everything else was looking a little weaker just about 20 minutes or a half hour ago. Surat, I mean, the point that that Siegel really makes is that the Fed caps the market at, at some point. You can't just continue to go up, up, up and away while the Fed is going to be as aggressive as Siegel expects that it's going to be. And look, even while you have Tom Lee, who's as positive on the market as anybody has been in, in recent memory. And he continues to be, even though he's not naive to the risks, but he still thinks we can go higher. The, the technician over there, Mark Newton, suggests that you're nearing the price target on the upside from this bounce. 45.50 to 45.70 is the range. That gives you a little more upside. That's going to feel pretty good. But at some point, Surratt, you run out of gas. You, you do, and, and I think the expectations of the 50 basis points and how many times is going to be really important and how fast the market discounts that. And I think as the market discounts that, then you will see that ability of the market to kind of sustain it. doesn't necessarily mean we go back to 5,000 or get close to it, but what you will see 
is some rotation within the market. And as long as that recessionary word doesn't keep on coming to play and we have growth that's slower, well, you've got other valuation metrics in there. You've got the financials, you've got healthcare that are all trading at 25% discounts to the market. And they can see not only a little bit of a, a market expansion, but they can see some earnings growth and you can drive some of the indexes up through that way as well. Not as much as if the big tech guys are doing it, but you can still get support from below if we don't hit the recession, but you still get interest rates moving and then the market kind of starts discounting it pretty quickly. You sure better hope, Farmer Jim Labenthal, that what is a strong buy signal today doesn't turn into an even stronger sell signal in the second quarter when earnings come home to roost and then we really have to deal. Like, I want to see the market the day that the Fed says 50. I know they've conditioned us I for it. I think that's priced in. Well, maybe it is. But what comes along with I, I the mean, 50, Scott, I know, but what comes along with the 50 may not be priced in. You don't know what they're going to say. You really don't. Well, you're, listen, of course you don't, but I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the last week and a half, starting last Wednesday when the Fed raised the dot plot from three hikes this year to seven rate hikes. That was a big hawkish tilt, and the market took it like a champ. And then Monday morning, you got Bullard coming out saying 3% this year on the Fed funds rate. Market rallies through that. Then you get Jay Powell, I forget if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, saying pretty much saying 50 basis points is coming. It's baked into the cake, well, and this market is taking it like a chimp. They're communicating more effectively yeah, and, but, than they've actually but, moved but, on but, policy, right? They're, they're late with the but move, Scott, but Scott. they're learning how to communicate so that the market is not going to be surprised. It was no accident at all that Waller said what he did on CNBC about 50 basis points, and then Powell sort of backed that up when he was at the NABE conference down in, in Washington, D.C. They're, they're being effective, but that doesn't answer my question. Why isn't this what is today's strong buy signal, tomorrow's strong sell signal, once you get into the second quarter, once earnings start to trickle in, and then we got to deal with something? So a couple of reasons, and they're related. One is this is an economy that is strong, and I know you're going to say, but Jimmy, what about in three, six months? And I'm telling you, this is an economy here in the U.S. that is very strong, whether it is consumption, whether it's corporate capex, and not likely to be derailed by 50 basis points or, frankly, 150 basis points. Also, Scott, related to this, the last three cycles, the first rate hike was a time from which the markets rallied. And the markets are doing it right now. Mostly what I'm telling us is we've got to respect this market reaction. This is a Rocky Balboa market right now. And I'm not talking Rocky 1 where he loses the fight but wins the girl. I'm talking Rocky 2 where he wins the title and before Rocky 3 when he gets fat, dumb, and happy and loses to Mr. T. <laughs> he barely got off the mat in Rocky 2 at the end, right? I mean, they both went down. He barely got up and, and beat the bell. Uh, all right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We've got more actionable ideas coming up with today's halftime headliner. Five-star portfolio manager Kevin Simpson reveals his latest moves next. And later, with so much talk about the yield curve and fears of a recession, are investors actually looking for answers in the wrong place? Steve Leisman tells us why they might be. We're back on the half. Two minutes. Dow's going positive by 13. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden met with soldiers from the Army's 82nd Airborne Division in southeastern Poland today. The president was less than 100 miles from where Russian missiles hit a Ukrainian military base last month. The U.S. has canceled meetings with the Taliban that were, he- were to be held in Doha. The State Department says that it's protesting the Taliban's failure to reopen schools for girls that it had promised. It calls the decision a, quote, potential turning point in our engagement with Afghanistan's leaders. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been released from a Washington hospital. He was treated with antibiotics for an infection that caused flu-like symptoms. His release comes amid a controversy over whether he should recuse himself from cases involving the January 6th assault on the Capitol. That follows revelations that his wife was urging the White House to fight strongly to keep President Trump in office after the election. And West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin says that he will vote to confirm the nomination of Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. That pretty much all but assures that she will win enough votes to become the next high court justice. And tonight on the news, why an Appalachian town is now very sorry that it welcomed a Bitcoin mine. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that, Rahel Solomon. Our halftime headliner today is a five-star fund manager who specializes in a covered call strategy, which often means owning a stock and then selling calls against it to try and generate more income. You've heard a lot about it from Bryn Talkington as well. Let's bring in our headliner today, Kevin Simpson. He's the founder of Capital Wealth Planning at CIO as well, and he does manage the Enhanced Dividend Income ETF or the Devo. Welcome back. It's good to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. well. We'll talk about your strategy in a minute and some new stock picks that you, you have. Just give me your view of the market right here. Lots changed in a couple of weeks. Yeah, what a difference a year makes, right? Or yeah, a week a or week. two. <laughs> you know, we're always looking for patterns, whether it's in weather, behavior, the markets. And I've spent 30 years looking at behavioral patterns within the markets. And this is just a completely different environment. You know, 32 years of a disinflation trade, Scott, 32 years of decreasing interest rates. And now all of a sudden we're, we're talking nonstop about a Fed that's increasing rates. And, and it's a different game. You know, the free money trade that we've enjoyed for three years is over. And I, and I, and I love the Rocky Balboa market. I mean, I think we're going to take a few more punches uh, before this match is over. But I like our chances. You, you think we can get up? It's going to be hard. You know, we're, we're going from an incredibly high inflation number, uh, CPI, PPI, 7.9, 9.9. Can the Fed give us a, a soft landing? It'll be a tough, tough challenge. Uh, you know, you had Carl Icahn on scaring the heck out of all of us. You mm-hmm. had uh, Professor on yesterday giving us a little bit more hope. But I think there's a chance for it. I think that there's enough in terms of employment. The fact that we've got people working to the extent that we do and that there is money that the consumer can spend, 
that we've got a chance of avoiding hyperinflation, stagflation, and, and maybe even we can possibly tiptoe around a recession. All right, so we can deal with some standing eight counts. We just can't handle a knockout, and hopefully we don't get there. Look, we, we talk about this covered call strategy a lot. In fact, we do it every time that, that Bryn is on our show, and we're happy that she is today. Uh, it works perfectly timed with, with you. Can you explain to our viewers who aren't that well-versed in that strategy why it works, what you may sacrifice on the upside and also risk to the downside? Yeah, and, and Brent and Pete do a great job talking about options. But from our perspective, you know, you're giving up a little bit of the upside. So our thesis is when we're selling into strength, the idea is we want to sell stocks high. We're never going to be able to time the market perfectly, Scott, to get out of everything at the ultimate high. So you, you forfeit a little potential opportunity to the upside. But the idea of harvesting volatility to be able to protect modestly the downside is really the reason that we like to introduce covered calls into the strategy. It's not so much about the cash flow, which is a wonderful byproduct when you have volatility in the markets, but it's trying to smooth the ride out a little bit. And, and, and admittedly, if we can capture most of the upside and protect a little bit of the downside, we think that that's a great way for investors to navigate volatile markets. Yeah, it, it's an interesting strategy that we've really only talked more about because of, of Bryn utilizing it and you as well becoming a new guest for us. Let's talk about some new names that you've added. Your new buy, uh, maybe your newest, is Deer. Tell me why. Well, first, Scott, we had Caterpillar called away, so we needed to look for a stock. And we had been in and out of Caterpillar twice with, with nice and, and good success. But in analyzing the two companies, I think John Deere just has a much better earnings growth. They're executing better on their business plan. Their revenues have increased at a greater clip than Caterpillar. The stock's been on a nice move as of late. But the idea that, that John Deere is an infrastructure play, an ag play, it kind of backdoors us into commodities. You know, with inflation, we need to think about how to hedge that, how to navigate that. Commodities, energy, sometimes you'll hear financials because of rising interest rates. But we look at John Deere as a great way to, to navigate inflation while still being an infrastructure slash ag play. So Jim, Surratt, and Pete all own Cisco, which you just bought more of. Why? Well, you know, you're talking to Surratt about Qualcomm and, old, you know, the OG for technology. But, you know, you're looking at a 1920 PE, a 2.8% dividend. They've been increasing their dividend every year. And I think as an inflationary hedge, that's something we don't talk enough about. Compounding annual growth rates, cager on dividends is, is powerful because that is a true hedge against inflation. If you've got a stock, even if the performance isn't everything that, that some of these high flyers are, but you're increasing your dividend each year, it's almost like getting a raise each and every year. So Cisco at 19 times 20 earnings is a value. Their earnings are up. Their sales are up. They're, there's a backlog for demand, and it's a company that we like a little bit more on the conservative side of the tech play. Is taking Chevron from 8% to 5% simply a matter of a move in the stock that's been uh, robust, to say the least? It's 61% in the last year. Oil prices you know, have obviously moved up a lot as well. Yeah, somebody much smarter than me said it's never a bad idea to take a profit. And we look at this move and say, why, why not trim it back? We had 170 calls on it that we thought might get uh, executed or exercised last month. It did not. So we wanted to go actively and proactively trim the position this week. We still like Chevron. It's a great name. Incredible share buybacks. Wonderful dividend growth. Incredible dividend. But having too much of any one investment in a portfolio sort of tilts our risk profile a little bit. Mm. So taking it from a 7 or 8% back down to a 5% weighting 
gives us opportunities to redeploy that capital while still owning a stock that we like. But it's better to sell them when they're up. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring Bryn into the conversation here, because just yesterday, in fact, on the program with her final trade, she did recommend uh, your fund, uh, the Devo. And uh, she did not know you were coming on, uh, by the way. But Bryn, I'll bring you in. Do you have a question for Kev? Yeah, Kevin. Kevin, good to see you, and uh, love love your love your story on story on deer. Um, it would be great to walk through, you know, the viewers if you if you cover the whole portfolio or just part of the portfolio, and how you think about that from a return profile. Yeah, Bryn, r- real quickly, we we look at this as a very tactical approach. We try to analyze opportunities to write calls. Generally, we'll do so on thirty to sixty percent of the names, not as a systematic. Let's sell calls on everything but really looking at it position by position, opportunity by opportunity, and making sure that we're presenting the best risk reward to our clients when we make a trade. You know what, we'll leave it there. You've helped make us smarter. We appreciate it, Kevin. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, my friend. See you, Scott. Yeah, be well. That's Kevin Simpson. Still ahead, Pete has unusual activity. And up next, Steve Leisman on why investors might be looking in the wrong place for predictors of a recession. Halftime's back after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It has become the most cited predictor of a recession, an inverted yield curve, with the spread between the two-year and 10-year Treasury bond most closely followed by investors like all of you, us. What if it's the wrong place to look? Our Steve Leisman here with why every picture tells a different story, and maybe, Steve, we're looking at the wrong one. Don't it? Uh, Yeah, everybody looks at the 210. But economists and folks at the Fed like to look much closer in, Scott. And the reason is because what are you trying to do here? You're trying to see what the bond market tells us about the next year or two years. So why would you look at the two and the 10 years out? Why not look much closer? I'll just show you the uh, the, the three-month, two-year spread is the one that economists and folks at the Fed prefer because of the information included in there. Um, and there's another reason it's a little hard to tease out from this graphic here, but when the, this curve inverts, it inverts more closely to the actual recession than the 210 spread, and you'd think that would be right. And right now, by the way, this is screaming like, I don't know where it would be, like a kind of mid-expansion. It's nowhere near inverting. It's going the other way as the Fed hikes and, and interest rates are higher, and that's the way it's positioned right now. 
Um, let me show you what you leave on the table if you follow the 210 spread. This is work done by Robert Perley and Roberto Perley and uh, Benson Durham from Piper Sandler. Um, and if you guys take a look at that uh, uh, chart that we made the, uh, with the changes or wh when the uh, inversions happen and what stocks do, what you see here is, first of all, it's a very long time from the 210 inversion until the recession, 17 months, 20 months, 23 months. These are the, some of the more extreme examples. And then look at what stocks did from the time of the inversion, Scott, until the recession, up 11%, up 20%, up hmm. 18%. So you follow this, maybe you get out of the way early enough, but you, you, sure, get, you sure leave a lot on the table. And that's we, the work that, th that those two economists we, are I mean, doing. we forget about that, right? We, we assume or we talk about it as though the yield curve, the 210 spread, inverts, and then a recession happens two weeks later. And as you show, uh, it's far different than that, even though I'm being overly simplistic, as you know. Let me ask you a question before I let you, you bounce. Um, I'm looking at the two years, up more than 8% today, Steve, um, 230. And I wonder, as I think you are, you're suggesting, too, that the market might be getting a little ahead of itself on how aggressive it thinks the Fed is going to be. What are your thoughts there? You know, <clears throat> I think Powell, for the moment, is going to let the market find its level here. Uh, the market has two things to get out of the way of. The first is, well, three things, really. Uh, a coming inflation wave from, from the war in Ukraine. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, uh, additional um, uh, inflation from that. Uh, the Fed rate hikes and the uh, balance sheet reduction. Those three things are going to be uh, a challenge for markets. Uh, I, I think the idea of the Fed being at or close or a little bit above 2% by year end is not crazy. Um, the, the 230 is maybe a little bit ahead, but I don't think it's crazy right now. The question is how much uh, tightening Powell wants to pull forward. He's pulled a lot of it forward. Uh, I'm not sure he's, he's dissatisfied where we are right well, now. Well, as you sent around, and um, I don't think you'll, you'll mind if I share this, what, what you said in a note to us was the question for the Fed is not what pace it tightens. It's how much future tightening it brings forward into today's economy. I mean, that's the bottom line. Right. Exactly. And, and I promised Patty I'd be brief, uh, Scott, uh, <laughs> even though you didn't make that promise. Um, but yes, uh, look, he's playing everybody and it's very successful here, right? The Fed has raised a quarter and there's 190 basis points. Don't think that you have to deal with the future rate hikes. They're already here right now. The question is how much he wants to put in. I think Powell wants to be a little bit um, judicious about this. Um, he's already pulled a lot forward, and we'll see. He'll do 50, and he might signal another 50. There's guys who are out there that are saying maybe it's closer to two and three quarters or 3%. Rates are going up. They're going higher. The question is the pace. Right now, Powell has been successful at bringing forward tightening into the economy today, and we'll see how much more he wants to bring. Well, because you can make an argument, I think I did earlier, that you can make the argument that the Fed's been much more successful with its words than with its actual actions by virtue of the fact that they're, you know, late to the game, but they're being pretty effective enormously in, in talking powerful. to the market. Enormously powerful. Yeah. With the question being, and I'll leave it here, how successful is are these higher rates at the filtering into the economy, slowing it down and breaking the back of inflation? Yeah. That's the key. We'll find out. I mean, as some housing data suggests that housing's rolling over, too, in terms of demand. Uh, anyway, Steve, have a good weekend. Yes. Yeah. We'll see you soon. That's Steve Leesman joining us today. All right. Pete's latest unusual activity is next. All right, Pete. Unusual. What do you got? 
All right, I'm going to start with Twitter, Scott. Now, this is a name we all know very well. We know its performance has been absolutely terrible. It's a lot closer to the 52-week lows than the 52-week highs, no doubt about that. Stock was trading a little over $38. We had a buyer of 13,000 of the May 44 calls. They paid anywhere between $1.15 and $1.25 for those calls. Probably a little bit cheaper now. Stock's a little bit lower. But it's interesting to see this because this is a name that, believe it or not, we haven't seen a lot uh, over the last couple of months. Secondly, we'll, we'll go to an area where we see nothing but paper all day long, energy. I'm looking at RIG, Transocean, RIG is the stock symbol there. We're seeing a, the stock trade about 462. We had a huge buyer of 13,000 of the April 22nd, the five calls. Now this is a name that hits, it feels like almost every single day. After this hit, Another six other energy companies hit our, our unusual options. You can understand why I am so overloaded on that side of things right now in the energy space. But I did add these rig calls as well, Scott. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Coming up next, it's our call Thanks. of the day. And it's Disney. Jason Snipe telling us yesterday he sold it. He took a loss. Did he get out too soon? One analyst says, yes, in fact, he did. We'll debate it next. Our call of the day now, Disney reiterated overweight at Wells Fargo. reason we're doing it is $139. Jason Snipe, Surratt, was on with us yesterday. He was in at $170. He sold it. He just couldn't take it anymore, and he took a loss on it. Um, this call is positive. The target is $196. Again, reiterated overweight. Talking about upside to the parks, earnings having some 9% upside. You like Disney? I do. I really like Disney. I'll tell you a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, this is a complete play on the revenge economy. People want to come out. They are traveling to Disney. The average price per ticket is 40% higher today than it was two years ago. Combine that with what Disney's doing with Disney Plus. They had a bad quarter a couple of quarters ago. They are now working on getting even more subscription to it. You have a flywheel here. You have the parks, you have Disney Plus, you have Hulu, you have a whole combination of a company that coming out of a COVID two years of shutdown, and then you add to it the international travel that's going to come back in the summer and the fall. So I think you're, 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 you're buying a company that has tailwinds to its earnings okay. growth. It has a lot in the future, now, so I, I like it. You, you point out what they're doing, those were your words, what they're doing with Disney Plus you see as a positive, which Jason Snipes sees as a potential negative, because what they're doing to get those subs that you talk about is spending a lot of money. And they have to spend a lot more money to get a lot more subs. Absolutely. But they also have a lot of content that a lot of their competition doesn't have to spend on. So they're spending money in the right places. And as people go to the theme parks, they want to then get onto Disney Plus. And Disney Plus is not just for children. It's for adults. It's got Marvel. It's got a whole bunch of other things. So I think they're spending money for the future. And I love companies that spend money for the future. I think that's the way you want to go. And in entertainment and services, this is a company that I want to hold for, for three to five years. All right. We're going to watch that stock month to date down 6.5%, $138. Final trades coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Good stuff in overtime, 4 o'clock. I hope you'll join me, Jim Cramer, CNBC's Jim Cramer, of course, Brian Belsky of BMO, and then... We have Labenthal versus Weiss on whether there really is money to still be made in Cleveland Cliffs. Can't wait for that debate. And at 4 o'clock, I'll see you then. Final trade time. Bryn, you're up. 
Archer Daniel Midlands, technicals look good, share buyback, increasing dividends. Uh, big topic today, or uh, this week on the half. Pete Najarian. I'm going to give you EQT, not a name we talk a lot about, but natural gas production. I like what I'm seeing in the options right now. I am not in it yet, but I will be pretty soon. All right. Surat Sethi. Uber, uh, partnering with uh, taxi services. I think this is the way to improve cash flow and be cash flow positive in the next couple quarters. Big win yesterday in that stock in Farmer Jim. I'm with Pete in Transocean. All right. Thanks, guys. Great weekend, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.